You're listening to State of the Arts, a show about the arts, theater, and creatives in and around the Philippines. Located in the upcoming Circuit Performing Arts Theater in Circuit Makati, Makati's culture and entertainment district where something amazing is always on. On each episode, we invite industry leaders, arts practitioners, and audience members to talk about current events that shape and further the arts in the country. My name is Christopher. Together, let's talk art. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of State of the Arts. I hope everybody's having a wonderful day and you all are staying safe. I'm very excited for today's episode. Joining me today is somebody I had admired not only for the body of artistic work that he has done, but also for the artistic administration journey and impact he has and is continuing to have in the cultural landscape in the Philippines. Join me in welcoming the current Vice President and Artistic Director of the Cultural Center of the Philippines, Mr. Chris Maliato. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hi, Christopher, and hello to all the listeners of this uh, podcast. Thank you. How have you been doing? Well, um, sort of uh, taking uh, a lot of time doing things that I haven't, uh, occupying my time, cooking most of the time, <laughs> and, try, and, and trying to get uh, back to... Uh, the flow of things through uh, video conferencing, Zoom, and uh, FaceTime. Uh, yeah, trying to get up to speed uh, in terms of uh, migrating most of our programs online. So your modified enhanced community quarantine has been busy, to say the least. Well, uh, sort of. Uh, it, it, it took some kind of curve at the very beginning, of course, uh, you're occupied with fear and anxiety and concern because everything looked so bleak and uh, you didn't know where to go. But um, as as the days unfolded, you sort of like uh, settle into uh, things that make you productive. And one of the things that anchor us is, of course, how to keep on um, enduring this, this whole quarantine period with the things that we know uh, we do best, which is cultural work and artistic work. Got it. Thanks again for joining me for this episode. With everything that has been going on in the world as a result of this pandemic, I felt it was necessary to hear from one of the country's cultural leaders and talk about how the arts industry, particularly the Cultural Center of the Philippines, is coping. But before we proceed in discussing all of that, I wanted our listeners to briefly learn about your foray and introduction to the art world. So what brought you to the performing arts? Um, I started, uh, my work was really uh, in uh, theater as a theater director. And at some point I was writing uh, plays for the theater as well. And um, I joined the Cultural Center of the Philippines back in the 80s as uh, part of the uh, cultural outreach program. And now I work for the center as their um, artistic director, which means looking at programming the various uh, performing arts forms, exhibits, uh, uh, shows, workshops that go on at the CCT. Of course, I work with a huge team of programmers and collaborate with them. Um, And uh, I continue to do work as a theater director. From the very beginning, did you always think you wanted to be an artist? Oh, yes. Um, this, uh, this started quite early, uh, even as a uh, uh, young uh, boy living and growing up in, the, in Negros Occidental, where I grew up in a small sugar mill. Um, I was already quite attracted to 
uh, Lenten rituals, which were highly theatrical. Uh, I was attracted to the pageantry of our fiestas and festivals, and uh, this led me on to uh, college at the university where I pursued a major in theater and later on um, doing studying uh, what goes on behind performances and thinking through performances through uh, the performance studies uh, department at NYU. And of course, uh, what an added dimension would then be uh, bringing in cultural management or art, arts, arts management in the whole picture, which now has brought me to the Cultural Center of the Philippines. I see. So when you went to school, you knew you really wanted to take theater arts? Right. Even way before the theater arts curriculum even existed. In fact, I started in uh, biology. And then the nearest, the closest thing that uh, to theater then at the university was speech communications until a year after they put up the... So we're the very first uh, batch of theater majors at the university. Oh, fantastic. And this is at the University of the Philippines. That's right. So you've mentioned something about New York. Were you working as a professional artist already before applying for a Fulbright scholarship and eventually taking up your master's in the U.S.? That's right. I was then with the Philippine Educational Theater Association as their artistic director. And then the Fulbright uh, scholarship opportunity came in. And um, I, uh, I joined the performance studies uh, program at the New York University, which then was a pioneering program. So they were only, they, they were only uh, in the field for about two or three years. So performance studies then was sort of a pioneering field in itself. But I was very fortunate to work with the pioneers of the program, uh, the likes of uh, anthropologist Richard Schechner and uh, many other and many other uh, uh, theorists. So it was quite an yeah, it was quite an exciting time because uh, the professors and the intellectuals themselves were trying to see how they could redefine the field. And is that program still in existence to this date? Yes, it is still in existence, and a lot of other universities have followed suit and come up with their own performance studies. It used to be that performance studies was quite quite an anomaly because nobody knew what kind of creature it was, uh, with the way it was trying to bring in other disciplines into the conversation. So it uh, sort of exploded the notion of theater, not only the established theater, the way we know it, that's performed within the four walls of an auditorium, but looked at it in the whole wide spectrum that included ritual all the way to police, policing operations. It included like even electoral speeches, campaigns, uh, uh, happenings, opera, and so uh, musicals, festivals, and so on. So, so anything and everything performance-related, essentially. Right, right. And, 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 and the way it also sort of um, engaged with disciplines like gender, politics, uh, anthropology, ethnography, and so on and so forth. So it's, it was quite promiscuous, as it were, <laughs> trying to bring... Uh, an interdisciplinarity to the way things were being uh, conducted. I see. And when you left, was that the first time you went out of the country? Um, it was the first time I was going to be involved in a longer-term um, academic program. 
Uh, before that, I was uh, going out for you know for as a as a tourist or a short term visitor. Yeah. How was life in the Big Apple? What did you think of New York as an art center? Oh, New York was mind blowing. As you know, the city in itself is a cultural resource. So just by living there was an opportunity in itself to immerse yourself in various kinds of performances. Of course, the obvious uh, exposure were the hundreds of shows that were going on and exhibits that were going on. But just stepping out into the streets, uh, you could already feel the electricity uh, of, of the culture that was going on. And what made it different yeah. from the scene back in the Philippines? You know what? Um, now that you've mentioned this, it's somehow haunting that you remind me of this because during the time, it was the AIDS pandemic that was happening in New York. So, you know, uh, the city and com large communities are reeling from the effects of the uh, AIDS uh, pandemic. And it was in the early 80s. And, um, and, you know, a lot of artists were reflecting on this pandemic. A lot of their works were influenced by uh, how they were thinking through uh, what they were experiencing as artists, uh, losing friends, uh, being affected themselves, facing immortality, um, uh, going into the politics of the disease, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, it, it, now it sort of reminds me of uh, uh, the way it flashes forward to the present, yeah. While you were in the United States, did you ever think you wanted to be based there? Or was the intent always to come back to the Philippines? Um, the, when, um, to be honest, uh, when I was going there, I was, uh, when I went there, my intent was really to, I said I was going to spend about uh, two or three years there, finish my master's and go back. The moment I was immersed in New York, I fell in love with the city immediately. And remember, this is also the time when um, there was not, internet wasn't as uh, worldwide then. It was uh, newly introduced even to New York University. And it blew my mind, the resources that would be at your fingertip, um, fingertips in New York. And uh, I, I saw New York as a wonderful resource for the work that I was doing. And I actually dreaded the days uh, that were uh, coming in terms of the end of my uh, stay in New York because I felt I was going to be distanced from these resources again and will be isolated and then go back to the Philippines in terms of resources. Um, fortunately, at the end of three years, the internet was working and I could now access different things that I thought I would be distanced from wherever I was in Manila. And that saved my life. And speaking of all of those, what was the biggest realization as an already working Filipino theater professional while you were in the United States? Okay. One of the biggest realization was that uh, I was far away from home, but at the same time, I was home. Um, I, one of the biggest realizations I had there was, my, was brought about by my connections with the Filipino-American community. Um, and Asian American artists, and I saw that New York wasn't just about was about these uh, multicultures, and I began to really explore uh, the the connections, cultural connections of Filipinos, especially those living in the United States, were born and raised there, the histories uh, in America, and find out that 
America is multiple countries in one. And one of the things that I got a bit obsessed about in terms of a narrative is the, the Filipino history in America, which involved the uh, young migrant workers who peopled the uh, asparagus fields in the early 30s, and even the plantation workers in Hawaii, and what they brought into what is what we now know as multicultural America. Uh, to me, uh, that exploded my once very um, island-centric view of history, and started to look at history as something that might be going on at the same time in parallel uh, in different parts of the world. So in short, uh, it gave me a direct uh, contact with the narrative of the diaspora, as it were. Coming back, did you immediately become affiliated with the Cultural Center of the Philippines? Yes, uh, fortunately, I was uh, invited by then the artistic director of Tanghalang Filipino, uh, Mr. Nonan Padilla, who, and, and he asked me to uh, direct some of the productions for Tanghalang Filipino when I was in, in during the, the, the sabbaticals in the Philippines in Manila. And uh, that introduced me to the Cultural Center of the Philippines in a big way. And then when I finished my scholarship, uh, Nonan Padilla offered me the uh, post of Associate Artistic Director of the, of the theater company. And that's where I had even a closer um, engagement with the center. Later on, the Cultural Center invited me to head its performing arts department, and that's how I got involved. I think that was my first official introduction of you back then. You certainly have had much success and have experienced a lot. Congratulations. Yeah, it's been a very fruitful, productive uh, many years with the cultural centers uh, so far. It used to be that I would just hold on to a job for three years and I would move on again. I was quite restless in that way. But now, I, uh, looking back, I've been with the center now for more than 15 years. Wow. And speaking of congratulations... The Cultural Center of the Philippines is currently on its 50th year, right? That's right. Right. We started our celebration. We launched our celebration last year, 2019 of September, yes. And we were supposed to cap it this year, September 2020, until this COVID pandemic struck. I think that might be the perfect segue to shift our conversation now to the CCP. Chris, how do you explain what the CCP is to the regular Filipino? Well, simply, the Cultural Center of the Philippines is the showcase of uh, Philippine art and culture. And simply, it is a place where you can go to see art, culture, both the best of uh, uh, performing arts, both nationally, locally, and internationally on on the stages and exhibits. Um, That's the simple definition of the CCP. Although... Um, the uh, CCP programs are far are far more reaching because we do have literature and cinema and workshops and other and and collaborations with regional art culture centers. So um, the CCP uh, is the building that you see right uh, on Rojas Boulevard, but at the same time, CCP are the programs that reach out beyond that building. So for those perhaps that might not be as familiar, the Cultural Center is a government entity managed by private citizens and overseen by the National Commission on Culture and the Arts. Is that correct? 
That's correct. Uh, the term that is being used is that CCP is a government-owned and operated corporation. So it is unlike, for example, other agencies as the Department of Education and so on and so forth. So the CCP um, works uh, right under the office of the uh, president in the Philippines, Lacanian. And all of the funding comes from the government or private and government combined? The funding comes from the government, yes. Uh, but as a uh, corporation, we are expected to uh, raise a percentage of funds on our own. That makes sense. And as vice president and artistic director, what are your duties? Is it a dual role, therefore having separate duties or in essence two jobs? Or is it something that is complementary or parallel to each other? It's two jobs that are complementary, but the main um, area that I, I'm responsible for is programming, which means that all the content that, that is seen at the CCP, both on-site, which means the, perform, the, the art season, the performing art season, the visual art season, the movie, the cinema season, uh, what goes on online, which is quite a new thing, uh, which we only developed about five to six years ago. And these are content that we, uh, we uh, present online in, on social media, on our uh, video platforms. Uh, I'm, I'm also responsible, together with a team, of course, with uh, activities that go off-site. This means these are outreach performances to places outside of Metro Manila and uh, reaching out to as many um, centers uh, all over the country as much as possible. Um, this is also we're also responsible for so that's online, uh, on-site, off-site, and uh, yes, practically that's it. Online, on-site, off-site, right? What is the typical day like for the vice president and artistic director of the cultural center? Well, a typical uh, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. day is uh, ironically. There's nothing artistic to it at all. It's all about, it's all about back-to-back meetings. It's all about signing stacks of paperwork. Uh, it's all about discussing about policies, artistic policies, financial policies, and so on and so forth with high-level executives. Uh, I'm, 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 and uh, well, of course, there's a ceremony to it. You know, it's about also opening uh, exhibits and. Uh, delivering like opening, uh, welcoming speeches to different events um, because the planning happens like at the back end. Uh, the planning happens, uh, happened already. So a typical nine to five would be that, you know. Um, of course, I look forward to uh, practicing my uh, uh, directing for the theater. And this happens after six o'clock when office hours are done. So usually from 6 o'clock to 10 in the evening, then I go into rehearsals. Uh, where once I used to direct like at least five productions a year, now as artistic director of the CCP, uh, I, I, I could only have uh, time for uh, one production a year. But that saves my life. That anchors me artistically. That keeps me in the ground. That keeps you know. Right. That is important. So a typical day for you is long and busy. That's right. Uh, I, I usually work, I, I usually joke when people ask me to do other things beyond stage directing and arts management. I said, okay, I still have time at around like two in the morning, two in the morning till around five in the morning. 
going back to 50 years of the Cultural Center of the Philippines. 50 years ago, as an opposition to raising funds for the place, it was said that the center is institutionalized for the elite. Do you feel that was warranted? And 50 years later, do you think this still holds true? Um, I would say no, not anymore. Although the, the, the CCP still sorts, continues to uh, break this uh, prevailing impression about the center. Um, somehow a certain section of the population still uh, get the impression the CCP is still an elitist uh, structure. Especially, I think it comes from a whole generation uh, who grew up during uh, martial law, and that was that was the prevailing image of the CCP. But for our new generation of audiences, uh, they uh, their memory of the CCP is informed by the various festivals that they've all attended. Uh, a lot of these are free to the public festivals, like the Pasinaya Open House Festival, and uh, their memory of the CCP is informed by the uh, very liberal and sometimes almost controversial content that the CCP has, uh, has uh, presented without censorship and, and, uh, and, and being very provocative about uh, so many things. Um, I think uh, the, uh, the... And of course, um, you couldn't avoid the fact that uh, once in a while the, uh, you know, the Marcosian... Imeldific uh, uh, ghost, ghost still sort of appears in the corners of the CCP um, since uh, she's being touted as, of course, the founder of the CCP in 1969. And we can deny that fact. But I think um, the uh, a generation of cultural workers have shed enough blood and sweat and tears to transform the CCP into something else. It has since evolved and has... Uh, been democratized, uh, decentralized in terms of its operation, continues to be informed by what's happening around it, unlike, and tries to be as inclusive as possible, unlike uh, its uh, iteration during the Marcos years, which tended to be more exclusive and uh, uh, tended to be more um, uh, elitist in terms of its orientation. What a fantastic insight and something I not only believe, but also support. Thank you for saying that. Let me now turn our conversation to the CCP and COVID-19. Chris, on April 30th, you had announced that due to the uncertainties brought about by the worldwide health crisis, all scheduled performances, including those of your resident companies and all other programming initiatives within the CCP, including all of your outreach programs, are canceled. Allow me to read some important numbers that were included in that announcement. The cancellation covers a total of 800 events with some 3,000 performing artists affected. An expected number of 800,000 audience members are gone, and so is about 90 million pesos in revenue. I'm assuming this does not even include those that work behind the scenes, as well as the support staff and workforce. Can you talk to us how you came up with that difficult decision, or if you even had a choice? And what is the impact of those numbers I just mentioned? Okay, um, this decision came very early for us, even before the government decided to uh, go into lockdown or the enhanced community quarantine period. 
in fact, as early as January, we already felt and sort of feeling uh, the effects of this when the pandemic broke out, broke, uh, broke out in Wuhan. Uh, because uh, in, Janu- in January, we were usually very busy in planning our, one of our biggest events in February, which is the Pasinai Open House Project, which uh, uh, attracts more than 55,000 audiences to the CCP for the weekend, for a weekend of, of different shows. It also attracts about 3,000 artists and from all over the country to perform at the CCP. So um, immediately we had to go into some kind of emergency decision-making in terms of if, uh, if we were going to push through with it or not. And that was early January. So we started to evaluate and we wanted to, we went for, we finally decided um, to avoid the risk and said this, this, this uh, large ga- gathering might just be a breeding ground for what is already breaking out outside of the Philippines. So we made an early announcement to, we, I, would, I, I think, I believe we were the, one of the very first to announce a cancellation of a large event even before the government decided to. And so to a certain degree, we were already anticipating uh, some kind of lockdown or quarantine, seeing that this was happening. Um, so when the announcement came in, it still came as a sur- not as a surprise. It came in as something that we somehow saw as looming and gradually uh, coming closer to us. And... Um, we were sort of early adopters to uh, this online thing. So immediately we started to orient ourselves to the use of video conferencing uh, platforms like Zoom and FaceTime and Messenger and immediately scrambled to see how we could secure our online uh, assets. Uh, Happily, uh, we were supposed to... Uh, launch the CCP online program in September of this year as part of capping the 50th anniversary celebration. So for the last five years, we've been doubling up our efforts in terms of um, digitizing um, the uh, huge content of the CCP as well as uh, putting in um, systems for managing uh, our digital assets. So when so what happened was uh, it was an earlier launch than what we originally uh, were planning to. So we had to double up on just uh, putting and making these uh, assets available. As we speak, we're still sort of getting up to speed. We're still trying to uh, make things uh, uh, more efficient. Um, we're still even learning. We're still the learning curve in terms of other tools that we need to uh, armor ourselves with so that we can maximize uh, the presence of CCP online. So, um, yes, um, but having said that, definitely still, uh, we, uh, we also take care of, uh, we're also trying to save as many um, livelihoods as possible. Um, because migrating online doesn't mean we're able to save all, but we try to save as many and, and if not uh, uh, create new jobs uh, that, could, uh, uh, that could be made available to artists. Uh, more importantly, we are looking at how to 
upskill artists, give them new skills so they could engage with this uh, digital technology. Uh, the, the hope and the wish is not that we're all going virtual, that, that the, we don't believe that the new normal is virtual. The new normal for the performing arts, I believe, is, is still going to be live performance, but this time enhanced with and uh, with and enriched by uh, virtual technologies or online uh, digital platforms. One of the responses you had mentioned that the CCP will do is to realign some of your programs to still be supportive of artists while the quarantine is still in place. Are digitizing things and preparing artists to be virtually ready part of those programs? That's right. Uh, in fact, uh, next week, we, we're starting a series of webinars. Um, this is basically uh, digitizing for idiots uh, sort of, of seminar where we're introducing the basics of, uh, digit, of digital platform organizing, management, creation, marketing, and so on and so forth. So we're collaborating with experts in free webinars to all those who'd be interested. So um, this is just a start of a series of upskilling, uh, retooling um, events that we're planning for artists, managers, cultural workers, uh, so that they are able to maximize uh, whatever uh, digital content that they might have. You also had mentioned something about arts therapy, I believe. That's right. Um, we've Fortunately, we've been doing this uh, even then. Um, our arts education program has collaborated uh, with uh, uh, counselors, especially in the past, when we were hit by uh, natural calamities, like, uh, for example, uh, when Typhoon Ondoy, and at some point there was the uh, uh, Taal, uh, volcanic eruption. We've worked with uh, counselors in terms of uh, alleviating uh, trauma, especially for children and their families uh, using the arts, as well as uh, cooperating with uh, agencies in terms of using the arts for delivering uh, rehabilitation um, and uh, disaster preparedness information to different communities, yeah. That is great. I understand that as a result of the crisis, your budget was cut to almost half. What will that mean for your programming and assistance to the artists? Um, this uh, cutting in half is part of the Bayanihan Heal as One project um, uh, law, uh, wherein uh, the government needs to uh, realign budgets all across agencies so it could be better uh, financially prepared to address the COVID crisis. So it is a uh, practical reality that we need to face as arts managers. Um, cutting it by 45% seems logical to us because uh, uh, a lot of our programs will not find uh, its same physical, uh, logistical uh, requirements. Uh, uh, especially in its online uh, versions. So uh, cutting back in uh, uh, finances, of course, will um, our, our main, our main uh, challenge right now, I, I think, is not the cutback of the budget because fortunately we will still have a budget to run programs. Um, but our main 
challenge right now is how we can translate this budget in it how this can be sustainable in the in the two or three years where we anticipate this to uh, this uh, economic uh, challenge to be still ongoing. Um, so right now, I, I honestly, we're still looking for some kind of business model that we could adopt so that this whole online programming could become sustainable for not only for CCP, but for all artists and communities involved. Speaking of funding, there was a bit of controversy when it was suggested that perhaps in order to generate enough funds to fight this current crisis, the CCP, along with other government-owned assets, will be sold. Why do you think the arts seem to be always the first one proposed to be cut? Um, well, it's, it's not only an attitude that's happening in the Philippines, but apparently it's this, uh, there's also that kind of challenge that's happening in in the United States, to be specific, in uh, other parts of Europe, like Germany, they've they've adopted quite a progressive uh, view of the arts, e- even in relation to the pandemic. But I guess uh, leadership, our present leadership in the Philippines and the present leadership in the United States, somehow share the same sentiment <laughs> in regards to the arts. <laughs> so they're they're also almost in the same boat as us. Uh, as much as I would like to believe that uh, this might be uh, just a sort of a desperate expression from government in terms of sale of its assets, including the CCP, um, uh, there still is, uh, I think this, I, I, this just uh, gives us a sense where the artist community are, at least in the eyes of the present administration. Uh, I think the artist and cultural sector remain to be invisible to their eyes. Um, it looks like uh, the, the, this is this whole thing is premised that the CCP and the whole um, estate which it sits on, which I think is what they're referring to as the asset for sale, um, is 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 just a is just a real estate. Uh, they're not thinking about cultural identity. They're not talking about uh, 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 artistic asset. They're not talking about uh, uh, heritage. And they're not thinking about it as uh, the dignity of the nation as a whole. So, yes. Uh, So I I, I say the act of selling the CCP and and the property and the assets actually is an act of selling the soul of the nation. (laughs) So I hope that, you know, uh, as much as there have been expressions of this, uh, unfortunately, from even like emanating from uh, Malacanang, uh, that this is just a, an exaggeration of sorts. Uh, but otherwise, as they say, everyone should be prepared for the worst. We don't know. This pandemic has been unprecedented. So we don't know to what extent, uh, to what extent this might affect us. You know, I can't imagine this country without the Cultural Center of the Philippines. Well, um, uh, not only unimaginable, but would be such a terrific and uh, profound loss because uh, in the very past years, if there's something that we Filipinos have been proud about, uh, was not about our economy and our really like uh, turbulent politics, but if there was anything that we were, everyone was proud about is how Filipinos shone mm-hmm. 
uh, internationally and globally as uh, artists and performers. The advent of technology certainly has amplified that. Even if the Philippines is geographically on the other side of the Western world, people are getting more and more aware of the immense talent we have in this country. That's right. And that is quite apparent now in the various omnibus uh, streams that have been organized internationally. And you see Filipino faces and Filipino talent shining right in there. And I think, uh, having mentioned that, and uh, what is... Uh, also very moving to me is now uh, seeing all of these artistic expressions online. And for once, everyone sounds, uh, there is a real shared sentiment, shared fear, shared anxieties across all of these cultures and the globe because of the whole pandemic. I wanted to let you know, I've been enjoying the streaming content that the CCP has been putting out on your YouTube channel. We have just been talking about it, and there has been much talk about the new normal, and in my opinion, romanticizing that perhaps that this will be the future. What are your thoughts on this? Do you also believe that this would be the way to go moving forward? My thinking about it is it it's, it's not going to be the future, but it's going to be only a part of the future. Um, the, the, as you know, dance, music, theater... Uh, in its like specific and discrete form, thrives on the idea that it's a face-to-face interaction with audiences, that it's a live engagement with audiences, that it's about bodies breathing together, it's about dancers breathing together, it's about a whole group of choirs breathing together, creating beautiful rhythms, and it's a whole community gathered in an auditorium, seated side by side, hobnobbing in the auditorium, in the lobbies before coming in, applauding the actors live, interacting and engaging and, and calibrating the performer's uh, performance on stage with the way the energy of the audiences are generated during the performance. All of these cannot, is impossible to capture online. Uh, all of these can only happen in a live performance. So um, I, I believe there the return is uh, it's going to return to, to this kind of situation but during the time when we're still dealing with this pandemic and we're forced to distance to socially distance ourselves or physically distance ourselves we need to look for ways to sort of continue to connect until that time comes again for us to gather um, and by the and, and and use this and approximate and, and, and maximize this whole situation to deliver our arts to broader audiences. Because before this, uh, although we already had online platforms, nobody was paying attention to it. Now everybody's paying attention to it. So, you know, uh, to, to a certain degree, this creates an opportunity for the arts to reach beyond uh, the audiences who can, who, who, who can afford to walk into our auditoriums. Now, CCP can reach out to audiences in the regions, if not like uh, overseas Filipino communities all over the world because of the online platform. So there's an opportunity definitely to broaden audiences online. Uh, and then when we get back to the uh, live uh, live uh, venues, uh, then um, hope, hopefully our efforts during the uh, period where online engagement was intense uh, pays off by translating itself into people walking in physically uh, into our live shows. I agree. And I do think that is the intent as well. 
that people have enjoyed seeing this content online and this made them miss attending live performances that they probably would have more interest in returning to the theater in full force once we are allowed to be together once again. Yes, one thing to remember our, about our arts is that our arts has survived so many challenges and plagues, even from if you go all the way back to uh, Greek drama <laughs> during the Renaissance period, you know, they went through different plagues. Shakespeare and his, and his whole generation went through the Black Plague uh, right after the First and Second World Wars. Uh, uh, it, it went through uh, a whole period of uh, challenges for artists, the Great Depression, and so on and so forth. But still, um, the live performing arts emerged as a discrete form um, uh, coming up with uh, expressions that uh, either reflected on what happened, but definitely transformed also by what it went through. Well, uh, we've, we've started creating these alliances even before the uh, pandemic started. In fact, about two years ago, we initiated the formation of an, an, uh, a loose organization called the Asia, uh, Alliance of Philippine Performing Arts Spaces. And the, this uh, involves uh, large uh, spaces like the CCP, uh, commercial spaces like uh, Solaire, even independent artist-run spaces. And uh, we were about to expand to involving um, spaces in the regions when this uh, pandemic happened. So uh, just recently, we had a Zoom meeting with all of these spaces, uh, finding out how they were, how they were coping with this uh, pandemic, coping with the closure and suspension of programs and artists, and basically discussing protocols, uh, preparing ourselves for the uh, eventuality of reopening the venues and the kind of uh, protocols that we must adopt uh, for the safety of our backstage workers, the safety of performers, and the safety of audiences. So uh, it has been uh, sort of timely uh, the way we've uh, aligned ourselves together. So, so now um, there's a way of connecting with each other. That is exciting. Chris, as one of the leaders of the highest cultural institution in the country, how do you convince the Filipino people that now, more than ever, that the arts are important? Well, uh, they they don't have to do anything, but I'm sure the first thing that they see on their Facebook pages, and a lot of Filipinos apparently, uh, as proven by data, are connected to Facebook. We're the most Facebook-connected, I think, nation on earth. Um, the first thing that they see to uh, sort of relieve or comfort themselves are songs, right? Our, our performances, our TikTok uh, <laughs> spontaneous dances and memes on, on Facebook. And all of this happened because of the arts. All of this happened because there is music that was composed. There was dance that is being shaped, uh, that the uh, all of these uh, visuals that they see and memes are works of, of, of creative minds. So uh, I think one way of uh, uh, convincing Filipinos that the arts are important is asking the question, 
what made them survive the whole quarantine period in term what made them happy and i'm pre- I'm, I'm i'm pretty sure one of the answers that will come up and high up on the list would be the the songs the performances that were that they experienced online and made their days uh if not uh uh if not uh, uh bearable uh made their days actually quite uh, fruitful and fulfilling. Before I let you go, I wanted to ask you, what are you looking forward the most once we return to some sort of normalcy? Well, the, the first thing I'd like to do is just like hug and embrace and shake a hand and, and kiss cheeks the way we used to as uh, theater people I, 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 and, and artists. Uh, that's, that would make me very happy. I think that is all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for joining me and giving us a short insight on your work and passion for the arts. It has been enlightening and I've enjoyed it tremendously. Thank you. For listeners who are interested in asking some follow-up questions, please leave them in the comments section and we will try to send this to the office of Chris and get back to you. Thank you, Chris. I hope to see you very soon. Thank you, Christopher. Stay healthy. If you enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite channels. State of the Arts is a weekly podcast and it's available on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. We're also on Facebook and Twitter with the handle at State of the Arts PH. Share with your friends, family, and fellow arts aficionados and help us get the word out. For the latest news, including construction timeline and updates on Circuit Performing Arts Theater, Follow our sponsor affiliate Facebook and Instagram pages, Circuit Makati and Make It Makati. Thank you for joining me today. Till next time.